The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. There is no sense of urgency whatsoever. 2019 was the second hottest year on record, and 2020 began with Australia ablaze. In longer, hotter, drier summers, this is obviously affected by the broader changes in climate. So far, the ambition level hasn't been high enough to reach the Paris uh, targets. Davos brings together people with the power to help stop global warming. WEF founder Klaus Schwab. We see a window uh, for action closing, and that's the reason why we put so much emphasis on the issue of climate uh, during this 50th anniversary. I'm Axel Threlfall, and this is The World at WEF, a Reuters podcast breaking down all things Davos. Today, I spoke to IMF Chief Economist Gita Gopinath, Greenpeace Executive Director Jennifer Morgan, and IKEA CEO Jesper Broden about the Greta Thunberg Manifesto and the effects of climate change on the global economy. I'm then joined by the CEO of Hermitage Capital and author of Red Notice, Bill Browder, who tells me how the Swiss uncovered a suspected Davos spy plot against him by Russian plumbers. Here are highlights from our panel discussion. Uh, the big issue uh, at this year's forum, uh, as we've all been saying, is not actually the global economy. For the first time ever, according to uh, the WEF's own polling, it's climate, uh, the environment, and what to do about that. Um, time now for our first panel discussion of the week. We've got a bunch of them this week, all in association with Refinitiv. And joining me is uh, Greenpeace International Executive Director Jennifer Morgan and IKEA Group CEO uh, Jesper Broden. And Gita, you stay with us for this. Jesper uh, and Jennifer, welcome. Nice to see you back on the set here in Davos. Okay, let's start with Greta then. The Greta Thunberg Manifesto. Is it the right plan? I, I mean, you, how she, she wants this, this divestment from fossil fuels to happen now. Is that the right plan? It's the right plan. In fact, today Greenpeace has done a report that says the bankers here, $1.4 trillion mm. have been invested mm. in fossil fuel infrastructure since Paris. It's the money that's the problem. It can move quickly, mm. and I think Greta and it's, you know the evidence is there of what can happen. You, I mean, your your report, I, I believe, suggests divestments as well. W what exactly are you calling for? Uh, and I'll, I'll ask Gita about this in a second. I mean, banks can't simply stop doing business with the oil companies, can they? They can step by step. So what we need is number one, the central bankers and the governments to regulate this sector. If you think about 2008 and the, and the financial crisis that happened then, we are looking and right in front of a financial crisis with stranded assets happening now. So you need regulation and you need these banks to state that they are going to start divesting, yeah. put a time frame on it and, <clears throat> and get it moving and then move the money into sure. the low carbon infrastructure. Gita, let me, I'll bring you in. Jesper, I'll bring you in in a second. But we're talking about, I think, about one, $1.4, $1.5 trillion exposure to fossil fuels here. Um, I imagine you would caution against rapid moves in pulling out of this. Uh, and, and the effect that can have on the global economy. I mean, I agree wholly with the idea that we need to do a whole lot more on, uh, on climate risks. But yes, indeed, if there is going to be too rapid a transition, there's going to be a risk associated, of course, with livelihoods of people who work in those yep. particular sectors uh, with investments that, because it's not easy to raise investments in green finance, green uh, technology as quickly as you would do the divestment yep. here. So that could, that has an impact 
an impact, you know, but that said, I think it is a goal to move to away from these particular kinds of energy towards more green forms of energy. Is that, Jesper, is that, is that yet another excuse to worry what this can do to the world economy? And another excuse that the banks and a, lot, a bunch of corporates are going to use in the, in the years ahead? Well, I can only speak for ourselves, but I think in a way you can say the, the black economy, the oil economy and the fossil fuel-based economy is heading towards red, no doubt. And the green economy is heading towards black numbers. And the, the balance there is uh, something for all of us, I think, to figure out. But it is true what Greta and uh, I think so many people advocate that we have probably a decade to get into this transition. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the main topic is maybe less so the worries about the fossil fuel descaling, uh, uh, but actually how can we speed up uh, the investments in the green economy? Yep. And I think IKEA, uh, we, we, uh, you talk about trillions, but we, we invested as a company with our own money uh, 2.5 billion euro in renewables, meaning that our operations, uh, stores, DCs, uh, shopping centers today, Basically, we have invested the same amount of energy as we consume in yeah. renewable in the capital. I mean, it's so no, it's possible. No, no secret, the, the, the measures that companies like Akira are taking. I think you said when you were on the set last year, 100% of, of, delivery, uh, of deliveries done by EV by 2025. Yeah. Is that still on track? That's on track, yeah. It is on track. You're going to make that. It's still uh, going, going to be hard work to get there, but the first cities are actually up and running. Mm. And, and, and uh, bike deliveries in inner cities, is that still a plan? Um, well, it's um, anything we can do to get the goods to our customers is there, basically. But what happens, actually, is the interesting thing is you have to decide as a company, I think, to be on the right side of history. Yeah. So what's going to happen if you're late here? It's going to be expensive to get into the cities, maybe even difficult to deliver. Um, carbon neutral doesn't seem to be good enough anymore. We're throwing these other phrases around, other terms, carbon negative, and, and uh, you know, going even further and the Microsofts of the world and, and some, of, some of the other corporates and, and, and indeed uh, governments are talking about this now. Is, is, where are we going with that? Is that being thrown around too, too lightly, do you think, that term? I don't think so, because I think if you look at the pictures coming out of Australia, this mm. is a wealthy country that cannot deal with a climate disaster that's happening in, in front of it. That's not even to mention the Indonesian floods. That's not even to mention mm. the droughts that are happening, right? So this is the thing about the mm. costs of the impacts. Mm. And if you integrate the costs of those impacts into your economy, which is part of the disclosure of risk, yes. right, and the costs of those, you see a whole different picture. And then you need to talk about moving more quickly. We have to more than have global emissions by 2030. And that mm. means mm. we need to move fast. Mm. So it is a rethink but it's a fundamental rethink for humanity if I may say so. Gita how, how are you how's the IMF uh, throwing all of this or factoring all of this into it into its models now and you know Australia was mentioned at the, at the presser yesterday the fires there get your views on this this uh, carbon negative stance that some companies I mean, are taking. It's, this is a huge part of the work that we're doing at the IMF right now so I mean just in terms of the impact of climate uh, climate change in terms of these weather-related natural disasters. I mean, it just shows up when we do a forecast for what's happening to global growth. Uh, but I think what we need uh, is to have a consistent set of disclosure standards on what exactly is your footprint of a company's footprint on the world. Because there are many numbers out there, but there's nothing, no consistency. That's one of the things that the IMF is good at, is about standardizing the reporting of this kind of data. Yeah. It's an important part of our surveillance activities, which is we tell uh, countries about the risks that they're facing. And we also give advice on public spending that's required, 
on carbon pricing that's required? I mean, all of these issues. Yeah, I mean, I think the standards exist. Right. They're, they're the Bank of England, Mike Bloomberg. The, there's a whole disclosure task force. Those exist. This, yes, but it, they have to be mandatory. Well, they have to be mandatory. And if I may say so, the IMF needs to be more active. This isn't about natural disasters. These are human-induced hmm. climate disasters that are happening much faster than <clears throat> what we thought. So I think the standards are there. The technical work has been done. It's the political will, and it's the understanding that the fossil fuel, that the finance industry is as culpable as the fossil fuel industry in creating yeah. this. Emergency. All right, I'm going to come back to that, um, uh, Jesper. The the WEF is going to start scoring companies on ESG. I mean, it's a big part of its manifesto now. We're talking about temperature scores more and more. Mm. Um, how does that sit with you, and how does IKEA score on that front now? So to start with, I think uh, in particular for listed companies, this is uh, a certain topic also. How do you been becoming okay. Does that evaluated? mean you're exempt from that? So basically we are a foundation-based company. Yeah. However, I think uh, we need to have ratings and the same sort of definitions across the board so we can compare. And I think uh, then I think we should share that with uh, our customers, our co-workers. So it's, uh, it goes beyond the financial part of this. So we have one language, one way of assessing. But then, in the end of the day, it's uh, actions that's going to make things happen, right? Mm -hmm. So it is about, I think, to the point that you were discussing, I think as a company, we, we worry about those discussions and the transition, but we worry more about political uncertainty. We worry more about um, the lack of speed in some of the decisions. We're less concerned, if I may say that, about the finances of it, because the, if you look at the subsidies that is today in the wrong side, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if that would only shift to the right side, you know, you know, Jennifer, I, I was, when I was prepping for this, this, this discussion, I, I was really wary about asking the same questions as I seem to ask every year, and that is, you know, are you more heartened this year than you were the year, from the year before as you come to Davos and, and, and you hear what you're hearing? But given these scorecards, given the talk about the scorecards, given the talk about carbon neutrality and, and, and negative, given the EU Green Deal and, and so, some of these other commitments, are you more heartened this year than you have been before? Or is I, that just... I'm more heartened because of the millions of people who are showing up around the world act, being active on okay. this. And I think the things you mention are results of that. They're results of the fact that people are showing up. The Greta Thunbergs and all of the kids around the world that are showing up, but also the adults, the companies that are getting at the risk. The fact that BlackRock finally had to say something on this, right? Which yeah. is big. Yeah. It's not enough, but it's big. So yeah. I, what I'm looking for here, though, is that it's not big enough yet. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. see the pieces that are starting to move. The Green Deal of Europe mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. fundamental. It's big. It's is got, it credible? Is it, is it too ambitious? It's not too ambitious. I mean, the climate numbers, the cuts, I, we think, need to be bigger. Yeah. But the fact that they're looking across, the fact that they're looking at the just transition for the workers, uh, that need to transition, the fact that they're looking at socially just policies yeah, so that yeah. it doesn't hit poor people who can't make ends meet, that's where we need to go. Today's headline speaker, of course, is uh, Donald Trump, perhaps uh, the world's most high-profile climate denier. How does that sit with you, Jennifer? Not very well. No? No. Maybe he's going to come with a different message. I'm highly doubtful. All of the actions of uh, President Trump show that he is completely in denial, that he is not thinking about people. He is thinking about billionaires. He's rolling back and trying to roll back environmental legislation. But I think, you know, if you look at him versus what uh, von der Leyen might say from the EU, you'll see the contrast mm. and you'll see the way that the world is going and needs to go. How does this sit with you, Jasper? 
No, I, I think, uh, again, I think we are uh, in a hurry. We have um, a decade to get this right. So I think uh, where we are, we're going to engage in the debate. Words are important, uh, intentions are important, but actions is going to be the thing that we're going to place ourselves around. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there will be different opinions. But we're, um, a lot of us who uh, share those opinions, we're very excited about the ambition in the EU uh, Green Deal and very optimistic uh, to refer to what Klaus said. Uh, we need optimism. Uh, uh, in order to change these things. Uh. I mean, one, one, of the, one of the things, Gita, and it's, I'm moving slightly away from climate, but the panel, one of the panels testing America's economic resilience. You know, this is going to be a, 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 a panel you're on today with uh, Mnuchin. Um, what's your message going to be on that panel? As pe people are going to push you to, to for, 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 I guess, predictions on how the US economy is going to do, if it's going to stay strong enough uh, for the president to use it um, in uh, come November. What, what, what's your message going to be? I think my message is going to be that while the US has done uh, very well on overall average growth numbers, uh, the outcomes in terms of social outcomes, in terms of inequality, uh, and this includes the fact that there are lagging regions in the US which are not keeping up with the average of the, of the US economy. And climate is actually an important factor because it is the lagging regions that have been more negatively impacted by climate change. And so uh, while the average looks good, it's the distribution that doesn't look as great. Uh, if someone was to ask you, is the US administration being narrow-minded not to, to factor this, this, the, the climate stuff in now, looking forward, a little bit further out, what would you say to them? I mean, I'm going to say the following, which is that uh, there are many states in the US, there are many companies, there are many people in the US who are taking on climate very seriously. Mm -hmm. So regardless of what the top line is, I don't think that there, are, there are, you know, any country can really escape the issue. Like you said, there's a decade to deal with the problem. And at the ground level, there are many people working on it. Yeah. Uh, COP26, Glasgow in mm. November, I think. Yes. What, what do we need, Jennifer, to see from COP26 in Glasgow? We need every country to come and increase their targets so that we get to that having. But when we look at COP25, it's hard to be optimistic that that's the outcome we're going to see. Well, I think that's all to play for. I think that as I see the activism growing everywhere, I think it's unprecedented. You know, these financial sector players, they could come into Glasgow, announce they're ready to start regulating on the governmental level, announce they're starting to phase out. It would be a great thing to do in the United Kingdom with all that financial market. Mm. You can have... Uh, and so I think looking at where the EU and China are moving is the thing to watch. Okay, so the Brazils, the, uh, the Australias... Um, the, the U.S. says we, we, we need to be patient with them and, and focus on, 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 on the Chinas mm. for now. Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't think we need to be patient with them. I think uh, in Australia, it's clear the government has to respond to this emergency. They need to change their policies. They're clearly out of step. Yep. Same with Brazil. But there is a, wor a world that is moving forward, and that, that's big. Mm. No, I think, uh, and uh, in contrast also, I think in Glasgow what we're going to see is more of the youth movements, more of people stepping up, more companies, tech industry, fintech, uh, financials, uh, and big companies uh, um, playing a role in that uh, conversation. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a difference. Speaking of that, by the way, big youth panel uh, on the show uh, tomorrow at this time. Uh, I just want to give you a heads up on that. I'm not going to tell you who's on it. It'll be a surprise for everybody. Final question to all of you. Um, Change makers you most admire. I mean, obviously Greta is here, and everyone uh, uh, has nothing but good things to say about her. Which change makers do you most admire right now? Let's leave Greta off that list. I know I'm throwing you into into this, but uh, where, where, where would you go with that, Jennifer? I would I would go to uh, a young woman named Vanessa who comes from Uganda, 
and she is a climate striker. She sits there by herself uh, trying to bring attention to the Congo and telling her story of what her life is and the courage that she has. Yep. We all need to have. Okay, Jesper. Oh, you, you know, we should celebrate many of the heroes that are stepping up. People are shifting. Uh, people like, uh, I think, uh, Larry at BlackRock made a big step, I think, the other week. We have... Uh, it's taken him a while. I but... think, uh, yeah, taken a while. But still, you know, the, this is... Uh, I think we all represent uh, an economy and uh, uh, 1900 ways on looking on consumption and everything that simply we were naive to yeah. some of the yeah. consequences. And now it's about uh, allowing people to step up and contribute. Klaus himself inviting all of us to a platform where we have this dialogue, I think is amazing. Okay, and Gita, final word from you. So again, I think there are a large number of people to credit for what's yeah. going on. I'm just going to point out uh, two women who have had, have had the good fortune to work with, which is you know, Christine Lagarde and Kristalina Georgieva. Yep. And the reason I think of them as very important shapers is because climate was not on the agenda at the IMF before Christine Lagarde got there. And mm -hmm. I think her work and what uh, Kristalina is doing is hugely important for an institution like mm -hmm. the IMF to take this uh, issue sure. more seriously. Really, really good to have you all on uh, this morning. And, you know, for the star our starting show as well, you know, it's such an important uh, topic. So thanks to Gita, uh, to Jennifer and to Jesper. Good luck with your panels. We'll be Thank keeping you. a close eye on those. Davos regular and prominent Kremlin critic Bill Browder is with us. Bill, really good to see you on the set again. W wouldn't actually be the same show without you. You're back every year. Um, I want to start with a tweet that you put out, I think it was this morning. Swiss security... OK, you know, whether we should be surprised by this or not, Bill, I'm not sure, but Swiss security services foil a Russian espionage operation in Davos, possibly targeting me. Where did you get that from? Um, well, I got it from the Swiss newspaper. Um, <clears throat> apparently... Um, in Davos, there were two Russian um, operatives that were caught by the Swiss security services. Uh, they were posing as plumbers. When they were arrested, they then presented their diplomatic passports and left the country. Um, so, but wh why do you think they're targeting you? Um, well, I was told by the Swiss security services they were. Okay, and so what's going to happen about this now? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, up to them. I mean, I'm not a member of the Swiss security services, but what I can say is that the Russians are actively targeting all of their enemies um, in all different countries. They have huge resources, and Davos is an important place. And this is the one place where I can actually come yep. and, and personally challenge Russian officials over the, the murder of Sergei Magnitsky, my lawyer, and other um, terrible I, crimes I mean, we, we sat here a few years ago. I mean, I'm sure you remember this. And we talked about certain threats that you, you thought had been made uh, here in Davos against you a few years ago. When you, when you hear stuff like this, uh, what, 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 what do you do physically about your own security here in Davos? Well, I certainly don't announce it um, to you on, <laughs> on television. <laughs> um, but, but um, you know, I don't spend my life living in fear. If I, if I did live sure. in fear, then they would have already succeeded. But um, obviously, I've got to take various precautions that other people don't have to take. But um, yeah. I I'm not going to stop talking. I'm not going to cha stop challenging uh, what the Russians are doing. And um, if they send these guys in, I'm just glad that the Swiss, um, the Swiss are on the ball here. OK. Look, as a, as a Russia watcher, and, and, and we know your views of, of Russia and, and, and the system and, and, and the man at the top are, are, are well documented. But as a Russia uh, watcher and an analyst, what do you think the president's plan is now? given the shake-up that we've seen? Well, for, for anybody who knows Vladimir Putin, um, the guy was never going to retire in a dignified way and 
go to the Putin presidential library. He's got to stay in power forever because if he doesn't, he loses all the money he's stolen. He goes to jail and possibly worse. He, but he said, though, Bill, that he does not uh, favor this idea of office for life. He's come out and said that. Do <laughs> he, we, he, he also said that they didn't shoot down MH17. Okay. He also said they didn't cheat in the Olympics. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't matter what he says. He's a liar. So, um, so his intention, and it's absolutely clear to anybody who knows, that he can never step down from power. How you define power, whether it's being the president of Russia or as being the head of the new... Uh, spe uh, social council, yeah, state um, council, state council yeah. Yeah. That, that, that then has power over the presidency? Is it the head of a new merged country between Russia and Belarus? These are all options but, but they've been this, playing with. How's this going to work, though, do you think? I mean, before we saw the whole switch with Medvedev, um, now uh, this chap, Mikhail uh, Mishustin, is, 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 uh, is, is going to take the PM position. I mean, word is that that, that switch is not going to work because he's not going to be elected president. Well, well, it may be that the president doesn't matter anymore because you now, I think they're setting up a new sort of a politburo, this, mm -hmm. this uh, special council that they're setting up, which Putin will then um, be able to, it's kind of like the, I think they call it the Kazakh model. This is what Nazarbayev did. He stepped down from presidency, he put a, a bureaucrat in the job, and then he has power over that person. That may be the, the model that Putin goes with. We don't know. It's all, it's all playing out literally as we speak right now. They're having a meeting this morning in Moscow um, to, to decide how this all plays out. Um, of course, uh, Ms. Ruslan was, was the, the, the tax guy for many, many years, 20 years. Uh, no doubt has pretty compromising material on uh, a number of people, Bill Browder included, perhaps. Is that fair to say? No, no, no compromising material. I, I've got compromising material on him, not the other way around. I mean, so, so, th so th this is a guy who was head of the tax service, um, and he was the one who organized the posthumous trial of Sergei Magnitsky. My lawyer, who was murdered in Russia, was put on trial three years after they murdered him, and Mishusin was the one who signed the documents to start off that trial. So, you know, and I'm, I'm pushing this a little bit, you know, but all your, all your schemes with Gazprom, you're not concerned that there's stuff going on, that, that he knows some stuff about, uh, about this, the grey, the, uh, the, the, the semi-legal aspects of this? There, there was nothing semi-legal about it. Everything I did was legal. They, they decided to illegalize everything I did in Russia after I went after them for, for killing Sergei Magnitsky. That's what happened. What, what, just a final question. What, so what's, what's your, 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 your prediction of what we're going to see now happen uh, after this shake-up, and how quickly are things going to happen? Well, so this is the weird thing, is that um, in, in theory, Putin doesn't have to worry about this transition of power until 2024. He, right. sh he has four years. Why is he... And Putin is an extremely risk-averse guy. He doesn't like to, to fire people. He doesn't like to take risks. He doesn't like to shake things up at all. I mean, most of his officials have been around for 10, 15 years. And so for, for Putin to take this action right now suggests that there was something really deeply disturbing to Vladimir Putin right below the surface that he wanted to, to catch and stop as we speak. And so, and, we, and nobody knows what that is. Even the, the, the most sophisticated Russia watchers don't know what was lurking be below the surface that scared Putin so much, but there was something was. And it's now all playing out uh, uh, unexpectedly. Yesterday, they, they fired the general prosecutor, uh, Yuri Chaika, who's been around for 13 years. Putin never does that. And so something big is happening in Russia. Something very scary to Vladimir Putin is happening. Will he be able to control it? Only time will tell. Oh, Bill, uh, good to get your views on that. Uh, no doubt. And we, of course, at Reuters will keep a, a very close eye on uh, uh, all the news coming out of Russia. Bill Browder, thanks so much for joining us again. Thank thanks thank a you. lot, Bill. That's our show. Thanks to our guests and our producers, Ben Kellerman and Jenna Zucker. And thank you to the Davos Today video team who made these interviews happen. 
You can watch the full discussions on Reuters.com.